Hello and welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jane Jazarawi and I'm a co-founder of Carrier's Edge. And what I'm are you? I'm Mark Morrell. I'm the other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Hey, Mark. Hey, Jane. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we got some updates on the Best Fleets to Drive For program. You've got some updates on? Bit of TDG, little bit of TDG, which is the Canadian version of hazardous materials. It's transportation of dangerous goods, and basically it's just the paperwork you have to do. But I had some thoughts on that. And I also uh, have been thinking about training implementations and uh, when it works and when it doesn't work and some thoughts on that, on what to do about it. And the scorched earth that can happen as a result of it not working. And that kind of goes into um, something that I worked on about 2003, so I guess 12 years ago, 13 years ago, which is uh, user-centered design, which is, uh, it sounds kind of cryptic, but it's actually how to make people get to your information quickly and easily. All right. Very uh, timely. Uh And useful information. Mm-hmm. So. It's always useful information. We're never about... Boring, What's, Yeah, useless. boring, useless. I was going to say yeah. unuseful. Well, we are classless bums, so we're, we're <laughs> once in a while going to miss the boat, but you never know. We have we no try. class. Uh, so, starting with the Best Fleets program, well, we are off to uh, a running start with it this year. So, the uh, nominations open at the beginning of September. So, that means is actually, as we record this today, it's three weeks ago that we opened the nominations. And we are sitting right at 99 nominated fleets. So we have not broken that, although I haven't checked which ones have come in this afternoon. We may have broken the 100 barrier. But nevertheless, we have 99 fleets nominated in three weeks, which is, oh my God, that's scary. It's a, it's a record. And because. it's it's scary because now we're going to have to contact all of them. And if they all want to participate, then our lives will be... Mush yeah. for the next, what, yeah, three so months. We launched the program every fall and we want to make sure that we have enough. So there's always that stress. Is there going to be enough? Well, not so much stress anymore. In the early days, there were tons of stress. We're going to have enough participants to actually have a program. And now it's like, we always have enough. So now it's like, okay, I hope we don't have too many. because <laughs> We have a, a short window to get these things done and it can be really nasty trying to squeeze it all in there. So Just scheduling. Yeah, just, just scheduling, scheduling interviews. Whoa, you know, it's crazy. around Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of these other things. So we are less than halfway through the nomination period, and we've got about a hundred fleets. So I think we are going to be drowning in nominated fleets this year, which sucks for us. Uh, but it is a good sign. It means that there's a lot of people that are really happy with their fleets. There's a lot of drivers that have a lot of positive things to say. And with that many fleets nominated, there's lots and lots of new blood in the program. So it's not just the same 40 or 50 companies every year. We're seeing lots of new people that have never participated before. Uh, so I and think every it's time, interesting. Every time we have people who haven't participated before, there is a very good chance that they're going to ratchet it up. Oh, yeah. And they're going like, to be doing something that nobody else is doing, and we're going to be like, oh, wow. And yeah. that's just going to suck for everybody <laughs> else. Yeah. And then we'll be running up and down the stairs telling, oh, my God, you won't believe what this company said. And so we should admit that we do work from home. Sometimes we do. Yeah. 
So yes. there is my office is on the main floor and yours is on the top floor. And so there is running up and down the stairs that happens mm-hmm. during best fleets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, and many kitchen conversations. Yes, many hey. kitchen conversations or going out the door to drive kids somewhere or oh, something. Yeah. You know, the conversations that just sort of spill over. Uh, into everything else that's happening, groceries and whatever else may be going on. Still think on. we need to get one of our kids on to tell it so they can tell everybody about how awful it is to live with us. And listening to us going on and on yeah. about this. Well, the part that I'm uh, working on right now uh, related to that is starting to put together what is becoming an annual part of the program, and that is the, um, the evaluation webinar. We need a better name for it, but basically yeah. a webinar that we do towards the end of the nomination period that is just kind of a how to fill out your questionnaire um, hour that we'll spend on a webinar, particularly for the new people, because when they come into the program for the first time, there's lots of things, uh, lots of questions. They got this long questionnaire and some of it is asking them about things that they've never even thought of, never even considered before. So they're not always sure how to answer the questions and what kind of information they should be providing. So this webinar allows us to kind of go through it with people, uh, help explain it in a little bit more detail. We've tried to be very clear on the questions and um, word them in such a way that it's very obvious what we're looking for. But uh, there are always times where it's a little bit uh, uncertain or people have never done this before, so they're unsure. The webinar gives us a chance to talk about that, remind them of key dates and things that they should be thinking about. Uh, in terms of getting uh, information compiled from around the company and all of that stuff. So we're going to be doing that. Uh, October 20th is uh, what I think we landed on for the date there, um, which is toward the end of the nomination period. But uh, it's always tricky. I like to do it once the nominations have closed, but there are some keeners that get in there and do the questionnaire really quick. And submit it. Yeah, there's already five people that have finished and submitted their questionnaires. So, well, we can unsubmit it. Yeah, we can reverse that if yeah. they want to make changes. But you don't want people to do a ton of work and then come to this webinar and realize they've done a bunch of it wrong or they've missed a bunch of things. So we want to do it early enough that we catch it before people invest a lot of time, but late enough that we catch all of the nominees. So, Well, what we might want to do is say you can't submit until a certain date and you, or basically in the system put something in there that says... Before you submit, oh, when you press the submit button, it should tell you there's a webinar if you want to attend a webinar and you can just leave your, your, your questionnaire the way it is, click the button, and then it says you can sign up for this webinar and actually maybe have a button that says, you know, send mail to sign up for the webinar. Because if, you know, people don't know that they don't have to submit. Mm, yeah, that's a good idea. We could do something like that. The catch is that we usually don't plan and organize the webinar. Like I'm just doing it now. Some of those people have already submitted. So I know, but if we... have to build it to farther in advance. But yeah, yeah we, we could, could do, do it for next like year. That. that would be something to add in because um, this is another thing that happens every year is we come up with things that we should be doing differently or ways to uh, simplify it or make it a more user-friendly experience. Um, ways other than shortening the questionnaire, which we never do. We always make it longer. <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to make people suffer in the one way, but then uh, we'll ease it up in other ways by trying to make it less painful for them. So I think for next year, we could look at doing that or, and maybe even integrate the webinar directly into the system so that it's all part of the same thing. Or have a recording of it, have last year's 
have a recording of the idea. webinar available because we, we are an e-learning system. So we should be able to have, we, should have, e in our we should have, you should be able to have some best fleets learning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to see a live one, some people like yep. seeing live ones, but if we have one that's recorded and then they can yeah. see it or see the sections. Yeah, that's a good idea. So then we should do that. Just by the way, for everybody listening, this is a lot of how we actually come up with ideas, which is just talking mm -hmm. and chatting and thinking about the things that are kind of a pain in the butt and then figuring out how we can make it better. And this happens everywhere, all the time, no matter who is present or listening, <laughs> we are kind of rude about it. So you get a little bit of a sneak preview into what our lives are like. Yeah. And then uh, when we see people's eyes glaze over, then we know we should probably stop talking. <laughs> but there's nobody here watching. We can't see any eyes glaze over. For it's really, we can just go endlessly. It's just each other's eyes glazing over. <laughs> Which I know I can tell when you've stopped listening. So I know when you're not listening to me, even though you think you can... Uh, I'm Listen to me listening. and doing all kinds of other things I'm at the same time. No, you are not always listening. Sometimes you put it in the back of your brain like it's a noise. <laughs> I know. I don't think that I'm unaware of this. There's always drumming going on in the front of the mind, and then there's <laughs> listening happening in behind. Awesome. I will mention as we come to you from the fabulously appointed Markland Recording Studios, which is my basement recording studio. Which is maybe two-thirds built. <laughs> I built the main pieces and then never got around to the other parts. But I have a nice sounding control room. And I have a reasonably good sounding drum room, balanced. It's really loud, but it's a balanced uh, sounding drum room. And one of these days I will actually finish that. And that's really all that matters. I mean, normally you build a vocal booth and a live room for full band and things like that. But if you've got a control room and a drum room, that's really all you need. So... I'm good for that. Okay, my eyes were just going to glaze over. So I'll continue <laughs> for five more minutes talking about the intricacies of building a recording room for drums, you which know, is the hardest instrument to record, by the way. I know, and you have so many mics that you have to put in all those different places on your drums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew about that. I think some people would be very fascinated by your recording studio setup mm -hmm. and your drums. Do you want to go and play them? You could play them. <laughs> I could probably hear them from well, here. Well, I'm set up to record directly into here. Yeah, but you don't, but it's so loud. You'd be able to hear them from here. Yep, you can hear them good. all over the house. The kids are, have, are so, have been listening to that since before they were born. Is, is Mark drumming in the basement? I sense we may have digressed. A little, do you think? <laughs> so coming back around. <laughs> yes, to like moving to the, the topic. Yes. I think we were done with the Best Fleets program. Yeah, what else so, do we have happening with that? We've got the nominations are open. Nominations are open till Halloween. For anybody who's interested in the program and hasn't yet um, nominated their fleet or had a driver nominate them. Yes, because a driver, driver has to nominate the fleet. Driver or owner operator. Uh, and then after that, we'll be doing the interviews and once again, tearing our hair out, trying to schedule 100 interviews over six weeks. And uh, do Christmas shopping. Well, it's not only that, but we've got conferences. Uh, Thanksgiving is in there. Um, there's any number of things that are happening. So... Yeah. It so is really, the, we just hold our breath from Halloween till January 1st. Yeah. And well, uh, hope for the yeah, best. Until the Christmas break. Once all of the interviews are done, 
um, which is usually like the week before Christmas is when we have the deadline for that, then we can unwind a little bit. Yes. Yes. So, so, so yes, best fleets often running again. And um, so some of you may have heard Jane did a, a segment on the Dave Nemo show a couple of weeks ago. That was mm-hmm. the, the day it opened or the week that it opened? It was, it was the week that it was opened. Friday that it opened. And it might be because that might be because mm-hmm. why we got a lot more nominations. And you so. also did a segment earlier today. You did an interview with Trucker News Radio. Yes, Trucker Radio. And Trucker Talk News Radio. Yeah. Trucker News Talk Radio. I Trucker, well, it's Trucker Radio, but I think there's news talk in there somewhere. But it's a, it's a web it's a web radio show, so you can go to, I believe it's truckerradio.com. Yeah, it's also posted on through trucknews.com. Yeah, and um, basically I was talking about Best Fleets there. I did a, uh, a short little presentation a couple of weeks ago just on what drivers want and, and what the things that they like the best about their companies, things that they don't like about their companies. And so I was talking a little bit to Stan about that too. Stan is the host? Stan is the host. Okay. Uh, so that'll be out, what, this week? Probably like Friday uh, Yeah, something. I think it will be so this week. By the time this podcast is out, that should already be posted. Since uh, we record the podcast and then it uh, takes me a week or a week and a half to edit it and get it out. So we should have the podcast uh, out soon after recording, which will be, uh, I think, early in the, uh, early in the, the week. I'm aiming for first week of uh, October. However, uh, we're going to be uh, busy with other shows and things at the same time, so you never know. Maybe a little bit while, uh, longer before we get that done. But uh, you've been busy doing the public relations stuff with these interviews and shows and things. Yep. Um, public presentations and stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, today you were participating in a webinar about dangerous goods regulations was, in Canada. How was, exciting is that? It was so nice to not have to talk. A webinar where you actually web- just sat and listened. Yep. And it was, a, it was a good one, actually. It was put on by the Ontario Trucking Association. It was about the changes to reporting requirements and uh, the TDG regulations, which is transportation of dangerous goods. And the only thing that I was thinking of that was um, concerned me is that the report, when hazardous materials are spilled or there's a release, that you have to do a report. But there are certain conditions about this report. And the um, part of it is whether it's a threat to public safety. And the concern that I had was that there really isn't any sort of guidelines about what is a threat to public safety. It's just kind of up to the driver. It's up to whoever is transporting the, uh, the dangerous goods. And that person has to re- do the reporting. It is that person. So it's going to be a driver. So if it isn't a very obvious kind of spill, or if it's, you know, if it's not, um, if it's not obvious to the driver, and for a lot of the regulations, things are very specific, but this one isn't, and this part isn't, it's just that whole, if you think it's a danger to human health, then you're supposed to report it, but that's it. So that's the you, regulation. How do you teach a driver to determine what's going to be a danger? I think that's going to have to be carrier specific. I think that each carrier is going to be talking about their particular, um, what they haul and what the dangers are and when to call us. So they're going to be making up all their own rules for ba- I know 
It, Mark is raising his eyebrow at You're me. Raising one eyebrow because <laughs> yeah. that seems crazy. Shouldn't it, that be documented in the in the paperwork? It, well, you but, or specified for the the dangerous good and the quantity and things like that. Well, you do have to do specific quantities, right? But if it's not, it seems really weird with this whole like whether you think that it is a danger to human health or as a danger to to public health. And I, I don't know. I'm gonna have to do some more research on it and see. But I think that it's a concern to carriers because there was a couple of questions about that is like, what is like, what are the specifications about that? Mm. Like there is a table that if you have this class of good and this this much of a, of a release, mm-hmm. then you have to report it. But there's also things like if there's a loss of life, if there's, you know, if there are others, other mitigating circumstances, but there's other things which is just danger to public safety. And I think it's... Uh, I think it's going to end up being changed. Something's going to be happening where it's going to be, somebody's going to have to make it a little bit more clear. So what were the questions that were coming up from people about that? Um, Well, they had more specific questions about specific types of cargo. And uh, there was the question about what what constitutes like a public hazard. Um, Other than, and then, you know, just basically like, how do I, yeah, they have a book that's coming up uh, that's going to be freely available on the TDG, on the Transport Canada website, and then they're going to be able to get more information from that. And a guidebook is available apparently, but it's not available to the public yet, so it will be soon. And these, and these uh, reporting regulations are coming, or they have, they're already out, um, but you could follow the old reporting guidelines or the new ones right now until, I believe, December. But it was just that one thing that kind of got, because normally regulations are very specific and very, you know, it is exactly this. Like mm-hmm. these are these bits. And, as much of this is a danger and yeah. anything less is not. But I think the Ontario Trucking Association is actually working with Transport Canada. Probably CTA, I would think. Yeah, it is CTA. Yeah. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. It is the CTA, the Canadian Trucking Alliance, who uh, is working with. Transport Canada to clarify it. Mm-hmm. So that was what I was crazy. I don't know if it's crazy. I just think it's going to be. It brings up questions, and when you're doing training, it like because I'm going to have to update the TDG course that we have. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to write about this and say, okay, you as a driver, you're going to have to do this report, and it's going to be somewhat based on your judgment, mm-hmm. and. They want the driver, the person who is in charge of, like, who has possession of the dangerous goods and the shipping document, they want the driver to be doing that call. So to call Canitech, which is the reporting body that they are supposed to be calling. Interesting. So the regulations are in place now and it's a soft enforcement period until when, like December or something? Yeah, something December or something. I don't remember the beginning or the end, but there's a... There's a bit of time and we're going to get our TDG course updated as well. Right. So we've got some time to wait for people to clarify this and see if the rule makes a little bit more sense or if it gets left as is. Um, And then we can update from there. Yep. Because we'll also have to translate and do the French version for that. Yep. And we will probably, we may have to do voiceover. Oh, we'll definitely have to do voiceover on it for sure. So that's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be a bit of a job. Well, we haven't touched TDG in what, two years? So oh, last summer. Was it last summer? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, Transport Canada has been going crazy with the periodic small updates. But you know what? I think that it really helps to harmonize the U.S. and Canada in terms of dangerous goods because they have, um, there was some major differences. So I think they're, they're moving closer together. And there was another interesting part of it was the reporting requirements for security threats. Mm. So you have to, you have to report to Candy Tech if you've had evidence of somebody, you know, fiddling with the, the cargo. Mm. So you have to do that as well. And they've changed some of the definitions of release and imminent release are gone. So now it's just release. And so mm. it will be, it will be part of our, our update on the, Interesting. in the course. Yeah. So and speaking of uh, updates and potential for uh, translation and a new recording, Yay! we've got, uh, we got some more stuff happening in that area that you're working on as well. You got what, three different language things in progress right now. With yes. a uh, French version of practical vehicle inspection. Yes. The Punjabi hours of service, uh, which is nearly ready to go to voiceover. And then the first Spanish translation, Spanish hours of service as well, which is in progress. Well, the translation has come back from the translation house. Yep. So it's ready to get uh, We're ready uh, to start putting it online, yep. Well, exciting. We're going to have uh, lots We're gonna, of different that will be four, That will be four languages yep. for hours of service. Yeah. So even before doing that, we had something like 25 different hours of service uh, titles covering all the different variations and things. Uh, and, so we're going to have uh, to rebuild our, uh, like how we organize our courses. Yeah, because it's getting to be, uh, it's getting to be uh, uh, quite the circus with all of the different variations that we yeah. have. So that's stuff that should be coming in the fall. Um, and that, uh, well, TDG fits right in there with those updates. Mm -hmm. um, and not to, be, uh, not to be outdone, the new course development continues as well because you're starting to look at some uh, accident new, uh, titles there. Accident reporting. Mm -hmm. um, not TDG accidents, but... Uh, just general accident scene. Yep, accident scene reporting. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really have a name yet. It's just sort of a ambiguous blob <laughs> of need. Something about accident scene for drivers. Yeah. Um, we also have... Uh, did we mention before the wellness courses for the U.S. We're going to have illness yeah, and injury and mm -hmm. and um, diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Now, what's the status on those? Because they were gone to voice. I'm just waiting for voice. Okay, so, so I'm expecting it any day. So those things could actually be um, up and running before this podcast comes out. Okay, good. Yeah. So we got lots of stuff happening there on the product side mm -hmm. on the courses side. Well, let's move on and talk about something else that's sort of been bubbling up as more of an issue um, that we've been seeing. And I um, haven't really thought about exactly how to position the problem or position the situation. Scorched earth. Yes. Um, but yes, we're, we're coming across fleets that have tried e-learning um, and not had success with it. Um, and in some cases, they had tried a, a product or um, tried doing their own thing or whatever and not really had a lot of success with it. So they're kind of stumbling around and they're kind of, as Jane calls it, the scorched earth, um, where they don't even really want to look at it. So we talked to them. And, and in some cases, they know that online training is the way to go for their fleet. And they're just kind of 
uh, I guess, gun-shy because they've been uh, burned in the past. Uh, and in some cases, they don't even really want to talk about it. It was a bad experience. They don't even want to hear about it. And that's it. So I've been thinking about this because, well, it, it seems weird because the, the business case still makes a lot of sense. Trying to drag drivers into a classroom training is very expensive and disruptive in the trucking industry, really no matter what you do. Uh, so online is a much better option because you can do it uh, con- conveniently without pulling people off the road, without making them come in on the weekend, way more convenient that way. But I understand where people are coming from. If they've been burned in the past, they've had an unhappy experience, uh, whether it was... If it was their first experience with yeah, online learning. Know. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, I had a thought, and I'm going to write this up into a LinkedIn article, sort of... Um, know what to do about it and I'm just starting to explore this thought so I thought what better place to uh, explore it than out loud in a podcast <laughs> <laughs> so I thought so you don't have to read thing. in the, le- the LinkedIn article no you should absolutely read the LinkedIn article because it will be the more fully fleshed out okay uh, more finessed version of this this is going to be sort of a rambling brain dump ah um, those are the best kind best kind of brain dumps yeah um but I had this idea, you know, I, an analogy that sort of gets the gets to the point of the problem, um, which uh, I think is, is part of the challenge is people don't sort of realize what it kind of looks like from the other side. Uh, and it's kind of like... What do you mean look like from the other side? Well, they see themselves having a problem. Or they don't realize what somebody on the outside sees when they look in at that. So as an example... You know, here's somebody who says, I tried online training, didn't work. Um, therefore, online training doesn't work. Um, so it's not really, online training is not a good thing. You know, we tried it. It wasn't successful. Our drivers didn't like it or our safety numbers didn't improve or it was a hassle or whatever reason may be. Therefore, we don't want to do it again. It's a problem. So it's like, to make it really simplistic, it's like my, you know, I tried eating with a fork. It was hard. It didn't work out so well. The soup kept going through the through the tines. Very so good. I don't yeah. want to use a fork anymore. Forks for Forks are terrible. Well, it also struck me, another example would be, you know, it would be, think about it if I am somebody who has a bunch of freight to be delivered. And I say, well, we've always used rail to deliver our freight. Uh, it's expensive and it's inconvenient, but it, we, we've always used rail to do it. So uh, I tried hiring a trucking company to do it because uh, people said that trucking companies would be more efficient. So I hired a trucking company to do it, but a few of their trucks flipped over. My cargo was all over the highway, and as a result, it was on the news. Uh, so trucking clearly doesn't work. So we've gone back to rail. Uh, oh. So now anybody in trucking would look at that and say well that's ridiculous yes that's absolutely insane you just hired a bad trucking company exactly doesn't mean that all trucking companies are bad and that's exactly the same kind of thing with the online training yeah you may have had a bad experience but doesn't mean that online training is is bad in total yes there are different uh experiences and there are ways to fail i mean it's not like you just flip a switch and it absolutely works so um We've got webinars and articles, and I just posted a a LinkedIn article today talking about different ways to make it work and roll it out and have success with it and all that other stuff. Um, But there are definitely ways to do it and have success, even if you've had a bad experience before. And and in some cases, that may end up being better. Like that failed experience gives you a lot of things that you can learn. So if you spend the time to sort of think about it and think, 
all right, um, it didn't work. Okay, so why didn't it work? Okay, well, drivers didn't like it. They didn't complete the courses. We didn't learn anything, whatever the case may be. All right, well, that gives you a very clear set of requirements for any new solution. So if you look at that and say, all right, and for example, we're going to say drivers didn't like it and they didn't finish it on time, um, or they, didn't, they were reluctant, they weren't finishing their training. Okay, well, if, they're not, if it's not positioned properly so that they see it as a, a benefit for them, well, then of course that's what's going to happen. They're not going to buy into it. I think, I think kind of what you're saying is that it's really not the, the training so much as, or the program, like this is for anything new. It's not so much the thing that you're presenting itself. It's you want a change in behavior. So if you want people to stop coming into a classroom and get their, or, you know, get their learning at all, so you haven't had any learning, so here's some e-learning, we're going to do this now. You have to actually think about how you position that to people. You can't just dump it on them. And you can't, and if there's a problem with the, and what, well, okay, let me start again. Because, so you can't dump it on people. And the other thing that you have to do is make sure that you test the system and think about how your users are going to see it and what their experience is going to be before you start thinking about buying it and rolling it out. And we get this a lot with our customers, I think. I think this is part of what the dark period is because we have that where we'll talk to people about using um, Carrier's Edge and then we don't hear from them for three months. And then we figure, oh, okay, well, I guess they're not going to use it. And then they pop up and say, okay, we're ready. But in that, we don't know what happens. in that week. Yeah. Yeah. We, we call it a dark period, but that's a really important period because that is where all the behavior change in, in back in our consulting days, we used to call that change management. It's, it's a whole, like people are in charge of this thing, of just how to manage the change and how to make it so easy for people to just sort of follow the steps and follow the dots, follow the yellow brick road, and then you get to an end point that's good for everybody. Yeah, well, I think that's the that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming to for this is recognizing that there are two things that are happening anytime you do something like this. One is the actual product or service itself, the software part of it. The other thing is the wrapper around that, mm-hmm. which is around the communication, the rollout, how it's positioned, the support, understanding what you're trying to get out of it and all of that other stuff. So when I think about the people that have had success with it, um, these are all people that are doing both sides of that pretty well. Um, they're figuring out what they want. They're putting all of those pieces together and then they plop in a system and it works well for them. And we do have customers that have come over from other systems and are saying, yeah, we recognize that online training works for us, but not the system we were using. Right. So they've done all of the pieces around it. They just didn't have that system in the middle. So when they plop in our system in the middle, then it tends to, to work for them more successfully. The ones that are kind of the, uh, the ones that are gun shy or that had a bad experience, I think are kind of a combination of failures in both parts. In some cases, it's a situation where um, they did some of the pieces around it and you know, did some of the pieces around it, but not all of them. And then they had a system that maybe wasn't a fit for their needs. And those two things together led them to not have success. Or they just went and signed up for a, a service, an online training service, didn't do the other pieces around it very much at all, and then it never really worked. 
And that's why they're saying, well, this stuff doesn't work. Well, it does work really well if you do all of those pieces around it. You have to have both sides of it. So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like the egg yolk and the egg white. Well, we're kind of the yolk, but you normally, when you fry the egg, you've got the egg white all around it. You have both pieces together. If you had a, you just had a egg yolk in the in the pan. That's it would not be very a weird looking egg. <laughs> or if you just carved out the yolk and you just had a egg white with a hole in the middle, it would be pretty bizarre. Some people like that, but yeah, it, it's and if you don't have a product that is easy to use and easy to, I think what our product does really well is structure how a trucking company wants to deliver its training. We don't make it. We've changed our our software so that. People can go in and basically create the programs, find their people, assign the programs to their people, and it's just kind of a smooth, well, hopefully it's a smooth process rather than having to go and find how you do that and teach yourself, and then it just takes up all this time. Going to a bad website is the most frustrating thing that you could possibly do. And yeah, and and I I think... You're saying that I'm thinking that you know what, uh, even though we've put a lot of effort into making this stuff easy to use, you still have to do that piece around it. You still got to figure out what it is you want to get out of it, communicate it properly yes. so the drivers buy into it, build habits around it, set reasonable objectives. All of those kind of things need to happen because the thing that kills me most is when we have a new customer who doesn't really get rolling with it. And we refer to it as a failure to launch. Like three months later, they kind of cancel. Thankfully, we don't have very many of those. We have a few a year, but every one of them I hate because I know what's happening. And they'll say, yeah, it's not your product. The product is fine, but we never could get it rolling. We never could get it going. And it's really about that taking the time to be um, thinking about what it is you want to get out of it, doing the planning up front so that when you do drop the product piece in there, everything is ready. So, you know, you've got all of the elements together that you're ready to run with it and have success with it. So when, uh, back when I was working in a couple of places where I've worked, it has always been really useful to have one of the members of the audience for whatever it is, whatever system, because I've done it with software as well as training is basically have someone who people respect, have a senior like, so for example, in trucking, you would have a driver, have that person. And some people do this and they get like the person who has the least amount of experience with computers, like someone who is just computer phobic and doesn't want to have anything to do that. Bring those drivers in and basically say, here's the system. Can you get through it? And we did this um, a long time ago at a, a very early truck world where people were telling us that drivers couldn't use computers and we begged to differ. So we actually had drivers going through like a five minute module and we gave them a free coffee afterwards. But it's the same thing. You have to sort of prove to the, the members of the audience who are really, really reluctant that it's okay. And it's not so much that it's good, it's just that it's okay. And you make sure that the fears are, are not the fear or the 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 blocking is taken away or subdued a lot and that really helps so if you instead of deciding okay i'm going to put e-learning in and this is what we're going to do with it and this is you know how many modules people are going to take per month and don't say anything to any drivers about it 
at all until the very end where you say, oh, by the way, here's some training that you're going to be doing. And these, and this is, you know, this is what you're going to be doing every month and you're going to get some sort of pay for the, or whatever. That is a bit of a shock to people. And as soon as there's a shock, any kind of shock, even if it's a good shock, people will go, whoa, what? What mm-hmm. are you talking about? Yeah. What do you mean? The adrenaline you know? gets going and you start yeah. wondering what's happening. And it's because it's change. It's something unexpected. And like I was talking about um, in the diversity webinar that I was doing a couple of weeks ago, as soon as something is a little bit dangerous or, or your brain senses it as a conflict or a, a danger, then your reptile brain goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then, you know, I'm resisting. I'm going to escape. I, I, have to, I have to flee or attack or something. So people don't like that. You want to give them, you, you want to sort of manage that change. So introducing drivers to or a certain section of the drivers, you may have, want, have, want to have somebody who's really, really good with computers go through a course, have somebody who's, somebody who's really reluctant and who's a beginner, maybe older. And have the two together and see how that goes. But you want to do some experimentation. And you want to do that, I would say, before you buy anything, is get some user feedback. Absolutely. Yeah, make that part of the trial period. Um, Because that'll start to give you a sense of what you need to do to roll it out. And that's one of the things that I talk about in the webinar that we do about rollouts. I talk about all the things you do even before you think about communicating it to drivers. Is start by thinking, okay... Who's going to get access, where are they going to be accessing it from, and how are they going to do it? And what's that going to look like for them? So if you've got people that are these uh, tech, technophobes, they're Luddites, the guys that have still got, um, still got smartphone or don't have smartphones, they got flip phones if they have anything, the kind of guys that don't even want to have a credit card, um, how are you going to do that? And what's that going to look like for them? So you have to bring them on side and bring them around. Um, and, and that's an important part of it. I've been thinking about that. It's come up a couple of times actually this week because um, I'm talking to uh, somebody that uh, I know has had a, uh, a bad experience and, um, and put some stuff in and it didn't really work. And they ended up having to uh, write a check to get rid of it, uh, which is never a good experience. But um, now they're thinking, well, is this really an option for us? Is this going to be a viable answer? And when I hear some of the things that they were doing and some of the things that happened, it's like, well, of course it didn't work. I mean, it's, yeah, you've got the basis of a, an idea, but it really wasn't fully fleshed out and it wasn't balanced with other things. So I think they were sort of led astray a little bit. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that as, as time goes on. And uh, kind of related to that, um, I'm going to be going to uh, to do a presentation. Well, it's going to be in November. I'm going to uh, Winnipeg, which is not going to be fun going to Winnipeg in November, but I guess it'll be better than going better in... Better than February. Better than February. Um, to talk about sort of more general how to evaluate, select, and implement uh, technology, different kinds of technology, because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, a lot of the things that Jane was just mentioning, really apply to everything doesn't yeah. matter whether it's online training or new satellites or dash cams or whatever or a change in how you do your pay yeah it's any change of any kind in an organization you have to broach it carefully i mean mm-hmm. not you know like you don't have to dance and on you know be on tiptoe and things like that but what you do need to do is think about how this is going to affect all of these different people 
what they need to be told, what is going to make them the most comfortable with the change. And generally, a, a simple starting point is just be honest about why you're doing it. And I see that uh, around the whole discussion of dash cams, which is something that we sort of followed in the Best Fleets program for years because we've always asked if companies are using dash cams and things like that when we track the technology that they have. And for the first few years, drivers were adamantly against it. Yes. The whole idea of it, they just hated it. They didn't want any of that stuff. And now they've kind of come around and many drivers are really asking for the dash cam. But a lot of the trepidation was really just misinformation. It was the sense that the company is going to install a camera in sort of the top corner of the cab and it's just going to sit there and watch the driver all day and all night and it's going to be fed back to the terminal and some management person is going to be sitting there watching the driver's every move. Well, of course they don't want that. That's a nightmare. But also, that's not how it works. That's not how dash cams work. The dash cam records 30 seconds or so of data uh, once it's triggered. So it's not just sort of randomly recording you while you sleep. And also, a lot of them aren't even uh, cab-facing anyway. So they're mostly forward-facing. So once you sort of talk about that and once you position it as, hey, here's something that's going to help save your butt um, because it's going to prove that you really didn't do anything wrong most of the time. And even if you did do something wrong, it's going to speed up the process because we're going to know what happened and we're going to be able to settle the claim more quickly, which is better for everyone. Once you get drivers understanding that, then all of a sudden it's not so scary. It's not Big Brother spying on them every minute of every day. It's really just about communicating what's happening and why. And that's generally how it works with technology. And the best fleets did, the people in the best fleets program who did this, who introduced e-logs and dash cams successfully, did a good amount of change management. They had uh, some pilot, they had a pilot project where they had some drivers who were, they didn't put everybody on at once. They had a, a couple of drivers who were trying it out. They were getting all the kinks worked out. Then those drivers actually became the champions to other drivers of those systems that initially people would just be wary of because, oh, it's a change. I don't understand it. Therefore, I'm, I don't like it. Not that I'm afraid of it, but that I don't like it. And that's a perfectly natural response. The problem is, is that people take it or when you're trying to implement a change and you get that. I don't like it. I don't want it. It'll never happen. I'm going to quit. That starts a conflict. And that's when it starts getting difficult. But if you broach it a little bit more like, okay, we're in this together and here's why we're doing it. And can you test this out and tell me what you think? A lot of the best fleets, a lot of the top 20 do give their drivers projects where they go out and test new technology like Grand Island mm -hmm. testing out the tablets and figuring out which one it which ones were were good or not yeah well, and let's, a lot let's of them that a little bit more because it's a fantastic idea so Grand Island Express is uh, a company that's been on the best fleets to drive for a list for years now I think six years five six years in a row five years I think last year um, but one of the things that they did that really caught our eye is when they have something that they want to implement in terms of new technology or they want to make a change on something, they don't just say, okay, drivers, we're doing it. They say, here's what we want to do. We want your input. And they get drivers to sort of lead project teams to go off and evaluate different things. So they may have one group of drivers that are trying one particular satellite system, another group of drivers that are trying something else. And then maybe they've got people that are 
trying some different models of different things. And you go and you try it for a little bit and then you get together, reconvene and report on the results. And that's a, a fantastic way of doing it. So if you think about that compared to the flip side of that, which is the company saying, okay, we're rolling out training. Now you have to do training every month or you don't get your bonus. Mm-hmm. Well, which one of those is more likely to be successful? I mean, the Grand Island program is a beautiful example. And what I liked about it is they're not a huge company. They're 150, 160 drivers. So it's not like they've got thousands of people that they can pull together project teams from. They're a fairly small company. But it's voluntary too. Yeah. So it's not that, okay, you, you, and you, you're on this team to do this. I believe that the people who bring up the question or who seem to have the most interest in it are part of that team. Yeah. So they ask for suggestions. What are the things that you guys have heard about? What are you interested in? What have you had good experience with it at other companies and things like that? Okay. Well, you lead the team that looks at that one. You lead the team that looks at this other one. You know what I would think would be a really good thing to do if you were going to introduce online learning is survey people to find out what they're interested in learning. That's a great idea. Because, you know, we have all these titles. Yeah. Even, and, you know, I, other e-learning vendors have all kinds of titles, so that might be part of it. What are people interested in learning in? Well, well and that... Learning in. What are people interested in learning? About. About. Yes. So that is the word I wanted. Well, That's a preposition. that kind of brings up a whole other subject, which um, we can talk about probably in another session. but. It's the idea that you know, training traditionally has just been the absolute required safety and compliance stuff because it's so painful to do it in classroom. People only do the absolute bare minimum, which is the required safety stuff, regulatory change, all that sort of thing. But when you move it online or even when you're thinking about moving it online, all of a sudden you don't have any of that pain anymore. So you're not really limited. You can do as much as you want on as many different subject areas as you want. So all of a sudden it's not about who needs vehicle inspection training and who needs logbook training. It's about what could people learn more about? What might they be interested in? It's kind of like binge watching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it, like and that's a perfect example because in the old days you had maybe 10 channels and okay, so this, are, these are my choices. It's painful to do anything more. So I'm just going to watch what's there. Then along comes Netflix and you've got God only knows how many thousands of different titles. Oh, yeah. You can't even tell. <laughs> there's so many things in there, but there's no real pain in it. So you just flip it on and go for it. There was, um, oh, when I did my diversity webinar, my co-presenter, who is a millennial, was making a comment about how all the Gen Xers, and Mark and I are definitely Gen Xers, um, have this, this pop culture thing is that we all have to talk about pop culture things from the 80s and 90s. And, and I was thinking about that and I thought, oh, well, that's it's because we only had 10 channels. Yeah, we all watch the same thing. We all watch no the choices. same. Yeah, there was only like, I remember when Saturday morning cartoons were like the only time you got to watch cartoons. Yeah, and then so you, we all watch Super Friends. <laughs> so it's a shared, like yeah. the entire generation has this shared a sort of um, mythology that we all grew. We all know Gilligan's Island. We all know, you know, um, the Bionic Man, that kind of thing. But anyway, I digress a little Not bit. Not that but. much, though, because it's kind of the same thing in the world of drivers. Because now there's an entire generation of drivers who, for whom training is defensive driving, hazmat, logbooks, vehicle inspection, the basic stuff that you got to have because they all got it through orientation and they maybe got it as a refresher because it was classroom and it was painful and that's what they all had. Well, thinking 
ahead, a new generation of drivers are coming up that are used to having, these millennial drivers are used to having a mountain of choices, used to being able to binge watch or go to YouTube to see what they want. Same thing is going to be happening in training. They're not going to be content with the five courses that they get um, classroom, delivered through classroom and showing up for a Saturday meeting. They're going to expect a whole bunch of different things, variety, ongoing opportunities and things like that. And there's lots of stats that talk about millennials and how they want uh, ongoing opportunities and they want chances to learn and that's what they value in businesses and things like that. But it is a lot more like the TV analogy than, uh, than you might think because you know, training now doesn't have to be those same six or 10 channels. Now you've got a Netflix of options uh, that can be delivered whenever and wherever you like. And much like Netflix, any good training system keeps track of all your progress and everything. So you can do half of this course today and then half of another course tomorrow and have all of those options out there. It really doesn't hurt anybody. It's only a benefit to the fleet. So there's really tons of, uh, tons of value to it that way. And when you can create your own content, that really helps. So yeah. if you want to do some sort of customized content, then, you know, get a system that lets you, yeah, like ours, yeah, you know, put it up there. If you have some sort of specialty thing, then, uh, then it works really well. And that leads us very beautifully into the final thing that we're going to talk about is how to build that content in a very effective and efficient, a user-friendly way. Well, it's not so much building the content, it's building the stepping stones to get to the content. So when you're driving down a road, it's always really good. When you're trying to find a house, it's always really good that you can see the numbers on the house. And this is something that we have to rectify because you can't see the numbers on our house. Nobody ever knows where we are. We so don't we have want to... people to know where we are. <laughs> We're hidden. The people who come to our house that we don't want are yeah. just doing everybody. So yeah. we can't get away from that. Mm. So having like a, if you want to want to lead people places, then you generally want to give them a path that's really obvious. So it's like the yellow brick road. So Dorothy follows the yellow brick road and she gets to the wizard. If she goes off the yellow brick road, bad things happen, you know, but that's not going to happen with, with uh, what I'm talking about. Sometimes. Okay. Well, you're not going to be caught by a witch. Okay. But yes, it can be disappointing. Figurative witch. Figurative. Yeah. Figuratively, it's not that great when you're off the path. So what happens if you're looking at this in terms of technology is that if you go to a website and this happened to me today. And I ended up complaining about it and complaining to the company about it is that you can go onto a website trying to find a specific thing. And for me, this was um, photographs. So, you know, every year your kids get photographed and then you get the little things at home. School. They get oh, photographed at school. at school. Yeah. Yeah. They're not just stalkers. Random. No, no, no. Photographing <laughs> your children. No. So you get the photographs and then you get the proofs and then you have to order something. So. Um, I've been very happy because I've been able to order these online and I don't have to write checks and things like that. You don't have to send paper with the kids. You can just do it online, put your order online, and I'm all about online ordering. So, um, however, today I'm trying to do this online ordering and it wouldn't let me go directly to that page. It wanted me to sign up for some other rewards program and it wouldn't let me go past until I had done that and I couldn't figure out a way to go past. I'm pretty good at online ordering, so it's not like I'm a beginner. 
So I was getting more and more frustrated because I kept on having to go back and enter the code for my kid's picture. And it just kept on bumping me back to that. So it was kind of like, I'm trying to follow this road. I'm trying to get to the place where I'm going to give you money so that I can get these stupid pictures. But I keep getting bumped off the road. And that just, you know, you get more and more frustrated and more and more frustrated. And there's similar, like if you're online shopping and you're trying to find your cart, or if you're, on, if you're trying to buy something online and, it, you know, your, your card gets, or we were buying uh, plane tickets and you had a problem with, uh, well, with the thing going. Well, even if it's non-standard stuff, you go there, there are certain conventions for different things and, and you go there and somebody does it completely differently. It makes it that much more yeah. difficult to, to figure out what's going on. So this kind of brings me back to something that's called user-centered design. And it's something about having your websites and your mobile apps and things like that be really usable so that you, so people don't think. And there's actually a great book that I was introduced to in about 2004 by a man named Steve Krug, which was the title is Don't Make Me Think. <laughs> and it really is about how you guide your users into what you want them to do. So, for example, on our, when you take a course as a driver on our site, basically you don't have a whole lot of choices. It's like, this is you, here are the courses you've been assigned. You can take them or you can resume them or you can take your final test. That's really it. In other types of systems, it can be like three steps to get to that page. So what we do is try to reduce the steps. And this is for anything where you reduce the amount of thought that it has to take a person to get to the place that you want them to get to. So if you have an intranet, for example, and people can see their pay stubs online, you don't want them to have to do 50 steps to actually get to that place. You want them to be able to, you want to make it so obvious that it's not People don't have to be experts on the system. Nobody should be an expert on any kind of a website. A website is really there to give you information. It is not, it really isn't a, a status symbol of how easy or how much or how, how much you know about how to use it. It should be just completely you evident. You never need to be an expert at how to use a site. Yeah. yeah. A, a website is a website. It's like a telephone. If, you, if it's hard to use your telephone, you got the wrong telephone. And it's the same thing with e-learning systems. It's the or same. any kind of information design, any kind of content created. Um, one of the examples, because I wrote a course on this uh, a long, long time ago. And one of the things that was happening at the time was VCRs were incredibly, remember, v I know. Them, VCR? Those <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Uh, listen, at least it wasn't a Betamax. It was a, it was a regular. Uh, a regular that be VCR. A, like a, a vehicle control regulator? Or you know, something? this is making us Gen Xers. Like, this is how Gen Xers talks. Talks. Okay. Talk. We so, anyway, things. when you, before, in the before time, when you tried to program your VCR's time, it was like 50 steps. And it's the same thing with programming the time in your car. It's incredible. Like, where's the button? How do you do it? Like, mm -hmm. it's, and so people leave. People used to leave the VCR blinking at 12 o'clock all the time until they, you know, until somebody had figured it out so that they could set the time. And I know that, you know, every time the power goes out in our house, 
you know, we have to go and reset all the digital clocks unless it's, you know, one of the really fancy ones that just reset on their own. But it's way easier now than it used to be because people actually have a clock button. Mm -hmm. Then they have instructions on what buttons to press after that. But before, it used to be insanely difficult and no one did it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with uh, like an online anything. If you have anything on the web or if you have any kind of equipment and you make it completely complicated and difficult to use, people just won't. They just stop. So that could be part of the reason why um, drivers sometimes struggle following a process. I mean, not necessarily an, a, a training related thing, but a particular process related to loading or unloading or handling a vehicle. And that's why I always think when I'm talking to people about um, coupling and uncoupling, which is something that we often get requests for, you know, why is it the drivers struggle with that? It's like five steps to do the coupling. Yeah, or whatever. it's not very. But nobody has taken the time to say, okay, there are five steps and here's a mnemonic that you can use to remember and, you know, think of these kind of things. Like with fire extinguishers, you have the pass system and it's, it is perfectly simple. It's easy for people to remember. Pull, aim, um, sweep and. Squeeze and sweep. Yeah, squeeze and sweep. Okay, maybe it's not so easy to remember. But <laughs> But I know how to do it. Yeah. I just couldn't remember what the words were, but I know that that's what it is. So and it's something that is very easily built sort of around the content that allows you to create a framework um, so you can teach each of these individual things. And it's a simple process for people to remember. Um, and like people have the same thing with drivers um, in parking lots and things. So they have to remember the goal, get out and look, you know, so it's that kind of thing. So. Um, that's about simplifying the process and simplifying the steps. And I think that's what you're talking about is anytime you're creating content, whether you're creating training content or even creating a process or redesigning your intranet, your company policies, whatever, there's a huge amount of value in keeping it simpler, finding ways to simplify the steps, like remove steps from the process, combine things so that they're very easy to remember and put together in different packages so that, um, you know, you've got a bundle of this thing, then you've got a bundle of another thing, and then people can just remember, oh, okay, I've got five bundles. Um, but in their head, they're already remembering what each of those bundles are. And so and that's what you do when you're building courses is you find ways to chop up the content. So we've had this conversation before about what do you do when you've got 50 different bullet things that you've got to go through and show people? Um, or a whole long list of things. Sometimes other training courses, you look at some the training material and it's just this mile-long list of things that people are supposed to remember. And of course, nobody's ever going to remember it. So you've got to find some way to break it up and make it meaningful to them. And that's, I think, what yeah, you're talking about the here. The lists of bullet points are always a huge, huge alarm bell for me. Lists of bullet points are, no one's going to remember them. It's not a... It's not helpful. It's not pleasant. It's not, it's not encouraging people to learn. And it's the same thing with, uh, you know, introducing any new piece of equipment, any new process, doesn't so matter. So what do you do in that situation where there's like 10 different bullet points of things that people have to learn? Um, the first thing I do is I try to group it. So I look for common things or common themes. So if I have a list of bullet points around... Uh, I don't know, like fire extinguishers, um, I will look for, and there's, you know, five of them, maybe not in this order, but five of them are about um, what to do before you 
use a fire extinguisher and four of them are what to do after. So, so you, you think about the sequence of events in the context of how somebody is going to use those different things. Yeah. So it'll be, here are the three things you do before, four things you do during, and three things you do after. Yeah. And there's your 10 bullets right there. But it's yeah. broken up into clumps, so that makes more sense. Exactly. So it's like that with anything. It could be, you can all, if you have a group of 10 bullet points, you can always, always, always group them into something smaller. It may not be, you may have to put some thought into it, but it's going to make it way, way easier for people to understand. So I often take information that people think is really hard to teach and turn it, turn it around into you know, something relatively simple. Because either it just hasn't been presented in the right order or it hasn't been presented in, you know, logical groupings. It's, it's, uh, well, that's the old thing that we always see. Anytime you went in to review somebody else's courses back in the days when we were doing consulting and stuff, one of the most common things that would come up is you would look at it and say, well, you're teaching it backwards. Yeah. You're teaching the most complicated thing first or you're teaching the exceptions first. Uh, instead of the basics. So the exceptions, people, hilarious how people always want to put the exceptions first. Well, that's what the lawyers do with the regulations. So you just follow the regs. Oh, exceptions are always, always, always last. Always last. You don't, don't ever start with the exceptions. So what got you thinking about all of this user-centered design and dredging up a 13-year-old course? Well, I, um, I was talking to uh, someone from the Truckload Carriers Association who's doing uh, uh, um, in grad school, doing a grad course, I think. And she asked us to take a look at what she was doing a project and she wanted us to take a look at it because it had to do with an LMS. And she was trying to think about how to um, look What's at... an LMS? Oh, sorry. Learning Management System, which is basically the umbrella that you hang all your courses on. So our LMS is... That'd be a funny looking umbrella. Well, it's you put your users in there, you put your courses in there, yeah. this so where you the do all your... Yeah. That's right. And so she's thinking about redesigning the Truckload, Truckload Academy, which is the Truckload Carriers Association's LMS. And she was... She had a whole bunch of, bunch of points. And I was thinking, you know what? It just sounds like usability. This sounds like this course that I did. So we started talking about it and it all came flooding back to me. And of course, when I'm explaining it to someone who's never heard this before, she knew that something was wrong, but she didn't have the words to go with it. So I basically said, oh, look, user-centered design. Bang, here you go. Usability. Read this book, this book, and this book. And there you go. Bob's your uncle. So she's, um, that's why it's, it's forefront in my mind. And uh, um, but it's something that you and I have been thinking about pretty. Yeah, it's something like it's that always the back of our minds all the time. Yeah, which we, is well, it's funny because after you started sort of mentioning it and reminded me of that book and the other stuff, I was thinking, well, that's why we ended up with our system looking kind of as weird as it does because it was redesigned. About it was a little over two years ago that. Uh, we went live with a completely redesigned interface on it, which was based on lots and lots of time spent looking at how people are using it, what kind of things they're doing, what are the issues that we're hearing about in support, where are the things that people get confused or where we're clunky, and from our own use of it, places where we knew it was clunky. And the result was something that was really very different than what I had ever done. This was 
uh, our learning management system is, I think, the fourth or fifth one that I've designed. And this one, the current interface that we have now is very, very different than anything I'd ever done in the past because our users, our, our user base of safety managers and training managers and things like that, use it very differently than what people in other industries typically do. So having that um, thought process of what kind of things are people doing it? How are they doing it? What are the typical transactions that they're going to want to be doing at different times and things like that. That really led to creating something that looked very different, but kind of fits with the way people typically use it. So it's, it's worked out much better because it's removed a lot of steps for them and it makes things a lot easier for people to follow along. And we, we will generally start, we'll generally change something if we find that it's very difficult for people to either get information or to, or to finish a process and that kind of thing. And it's really, it's because we don't want people using our LMS to need to become an expert on using our LMS. We want them to get to the training and we want them to be able to get there and get the information that they need. So really the design ends up not really being about you as the designer. It is really just a constant asking you know, what about this? What about this? What do you think of this? And getting all that feedback and then just presenting well, what that's you want what to present. That, uh, old saying about design, that good design gets out of the way and you don't really notice it. Yeah. So if you look at something like Amazon, which is a very well-designed website, it's not hard to find things there. You go there and it's generally search-driven. You're looking for something and even something very broad. You may not have a specific name, but a very broad idea of what you want it's going to very quickly start giving you information and it's not going to be long before you find probably a thousand different things that match what you're after. And that's a whole different thing. You get option anxiety because there's almost too many to choose from, <laughs> but they make it very quick. You don't have to be an expert on using the Amazon site. So, yeah. And that kind of goes back to uh, sort of circling it back to all sort of training stuff. You shouldn't have to be an expert on how the e-learning system works. You shouldn't have to be an expert on how the company's process for getting paid works. You shouldn't have to be an expert on the settlement process in the company. That should be simplified to the point that it's easy for people to do it. There's minimal number of steps and minimal number of ways for it to blow up. And same thing with uh, the paperwork process, getting loaded, getting assigned loads, whatever the case may be. No driver should need to be an expert on those things. What they should be an expert on is getting the freight down the road safely. Exactly. You let the people do what they're good at. And that's something that we do a lot too. We know what we're bad at. So we <laughs> so we usually try and, and relegate that to it's one of those things. It could be. At. You never know. We will, you, we will you find after, out. never know. But I think it also goes back to choosing um, basically being careful of your selection of a product because the LMS part the, people, the thing that you have to get into to try and assign your drivers some kind of training, that is going to be, if you can't use it, if you find it frustrating to use, if you want to just hand it over to somebody else because it's just too horrible, horrible to get through, then that's not a, good, it's not a good system. It will never get better. Well, unless they change it. But you know. Well, just thinking of that, because I remember the old days of the software world, late 90s, early 2000s, when we were doing a lot of software consulting, that was a common thing, that when you put in a new software, a new system, there was two or three days of on-site training that need to happen on how to use it. And I think that still happens a little bit with sort of the larger enterprise systems 
whether it's the dispatch system or the uh, you know, driver management or whatever the case may be. But if you've got a system that really needs a lot of training, then that's probably a bad system. Uh, not necessarily. I wouldn't agree. It depends on how many things the system does. So if it's a really integrated system that, you know, touches on your payroll, your dispatch, your settlements, if it does all of that, it can be complicated, but it should be very obvious where the training needs to happen. Well, it should be very obvious that it has those features and how to use them and all of the help. I mean, the best practices in software design now, the sales cycle is built into the product. Tech support is built into the product. Help and training are built into the product. Think about something like, Facebook or Twitter or these larger packages, you think of them as being really simple because you only see one page, but they've got tons and tons of intelligence behind them. But you don't need it. You don't need to go to a training course on how to use Facebook. You don't need, well, you could go to a training course on how to use LinkedIn because it's very poor. <laughs> yeah, there's an but example of bad Something usability. like Amazon is, is something that is very simply designed. You don't, they would never have that sort of thing. I mean, um, Google Analytics is another one that is really complicated and I, I am using these things on a daily basis and I still struggle trying to keep track of what are these 15 different tabs and what do they mean because there's no explanation. They don't seem to be tied to anything. There's no sort of logic around how you might use it or what a typical use case is. So they haven't done a lot of that and Google's never been great at that part of it. They're great at the thinking behind it. They're not great at building a nice simple interface around it. Well, they so. did one simple interface and that was it. Yeah. You only get one. Yeah. <laughs> the search, the search the page, search homepage. that will be forever simple. But other than that, it's like, so, yeah. Yeah. Tying it back uh, to uh, subjects and the, the broader topics, there's, it's definitely worth spending some time doing that design part of it, thinking about how people are going to interact with it, how they're going to use it, where the problems are likely to be how to chop up the content uh, or the material into things that make sense and are logical and fit with what people are doing in their day-to-day jobs. Uh, it always pays dividends because you get a you get simpler information that is uh, more easily digested. People tend to remember it better. They have less of those issues that we were talking about before and change management because it's not as scary for them if they understand it, if they can get their head around it. Um, and it ends up being much more successful over the long term. I would agree. So we rambled on quite a while. (laughs) So uh, any last thoughts on anything that's coming up or uh, things that that you're looking forward to or not looking forward to that are happening? Oh, I'm not looking forward to getting on a plane. That's not news. I know. But Um, we're doing it this weekend. Yeah, so we got some uh, trips coming up. And uh, I guess, so by the time this comes out, we will have finished with MC&E. Uh, and I guess for the next podcast, we will have a report on our very exciting pi- party at the ice bar, the, yes. um, the party technology, going on. the p- technology innovators after party happening Sunday, October 2nd at the minus five ice bar. And um, if you're going to be at the safety and security conference, safety and security conference, ATA safety and security conference at the end of October in Oklahoma city. Um, we'll be there as well. Oh no, I was going to say in Vegas, which one is it? The ATA. MCNE. MCNE. If you're going to be at MCNE. Yes. And come you, by our booth. Yes. And Although, you might again, get to go we, to the ice bar. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, MCNE will be over. True. Um, and it seems that the, uh, the party is full anyway. So oh. they're saying no, no walk-ins. Oh. Yeah. So if you haven't risked it, uh, you're out of luck. Oh, well, it's a place to be. 
I'm telling you, you have to FaceTime me and then carry me around on an iPad. Well, we'll see. Like that, like um, Edward Snowden is on that, you know, he's on that. Um, he's always on like a little trolley. Yeah. <laughs> I need to have, be on. Yeah. We're not going to do that. <laughs> okay. Right. I think so that's So I it. think that wraps it up. So thank you all for listening. Yes. Thank you very much. Catch up with you next time. Bye.